Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael, myself, or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Monday, April the 25th, 2016, and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1 and that puts you in queue. We would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're with us, that we get to uh, have this conversation once again about... um, the way to see life as a true human being through the presence of a human life or the presence of love, as opposed to what much of the world is doing is looking at life through the filters of hostility or fear and blocking their human lives. So, and our first, first thought for today is that we have a request. We got a call early this morning that Jeannie's mom had been taken to the hospital with some some uh, chest pains, and so if everybody would just uh, think about Alice Morris and just uh, hold her in your heart and send her love and support that uh, whatever's going on, if there's an energy there in her body that needs to be melted, it just melts and disappears, and she gets out of there today and says thank you and just rolls on and does well. Any thoughts to add to that, Jeannie? No, I don't. Thank you. Okay, well, we'll just just hold everybody. We'll just hold her in love. And beyond that, for a starting point in the show today, I had been speaking with somebody over the weekend who uh, who had an interaction with someone and and said something that uh, someone didn't like. Uh, presented them with uh, a truth that, or may have been an opinion, whatever it was, uh, that the person they were talking to didn't like, and the person. They were talking to went into such a uh, a state of criticism and rage that I guess it just became just pretty an interesting word outrageous uh, in the way that the the response went. I mean, it was a conversation over you know issues, but the person who was presented with these whether it was fact or truth or opinion really is kind of irrelevant, but the disproportionate response that came out of such a deep space that, you know, this person ended up 
making up uh, stories that just went beyond anything even remotely logical. I mean, the person they were interacting with just went into, you know, speaking about the things they knew about this person that they did, that they cheated on their spouse, and they had some sort of secret project going on in another country. And I mean, they just went, I, I guess, just went kind of stark raving off the deep end. And with no relationship with any kind of truth or anything that this person was involved in. And I just thought I'd address, number one, why that happens, and number two, where's the best response? So recognizing that, um, you know, we live in a, a perceptual mind that shows us data based on what resonates inside of us one of the things that you can always tell by someone's words is what's going on in their lives. So the, the perceptual mind, when it creates an hallucination such as in this case, things that bore no resemblance whatsoever to truth or fact or anything that had ever been discussed or happened, then the first thing you know is the person who's spewing the untruths is suffering from a pain so deep that they can't tell the difference between fact and fiction. And when something's triggered in them, and usually they'll make the fiction up. If someone's making a story up about someone else, they'll make a story up about what's hurting in them that they've denied and dissociated from. For instance, in this case, someone who I know personally has uh, tremendous uh, integrity in their relationship, and this person goes and posts on Facebook how, you know, you've been cheating on your spouse. And so what do we know from that kind of hallucination on the part of the person who's uh, been posting such things is that probably there's a, a situation in their lives where they've either factually or thought they were being cheated on by their spouse and have so much pain about it that it just can't be faced. And a situation where someone would would bring that sort of idea forward just totally, completely, like out of left field with no relationship to anything happens. Because if we live in a state of denial, and of course with this work our, our definition of denial is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is causing something to happen inside of me, then that which is happening inside of me caused by what's going on inside of me becomes invisible. You know, I, I'm in essence telling my mind, mind, you're not allowed to show me that this has got anything to do with me. You've got to show me that this is someone else's. So, you know, you made me mad, you made me sad is our example. When one lives in that kind of denial, then truth is blocked. The result of that is blockage of truth. When one lives in a state of blockage of truth, then the tendency is any, even the slightest disturbance or upset, the mind hallucinates, literally shows that person a world of pictures where what it is that they're saying, they actually see happening. And you say, well, how could that be? Well, let's take the situation where someone who's had their spouse cheat on them 
and perhaps they've never been able to face it, never been able to deal with it, or maybe they've never gotten over it. There's just so much pain there that is hidden that when under the stress of having truth shown, when, when truth shows up, the mind and blockage of truth experiences a, a, an elevation in stress. And that elevation in stress, for most people, means that what they're going to do, their minds are wired in such a way that whatever the stressor is that's inside will be blocked, and their minds will show them that someone outside of them is the problem. So in the case where the person has been cheated on, all of a sudden those brain cells where you know, they weren't able to resolve them all of a sudden, because of the stress of truth showing up when they're in blockage of truth, they literally create an image or pictures, stories, where they know this other person's been cheating on their spouse. And, and they literally believe that. And, you know, when, when one's in that deep blockage of truth, the, the pain in that mind, and, you know, it's... it's it's the stuff that starts wars, really, literally, truly. Interesting. If you've never seen the um, the movie, there's an interesting. I think it was an HBO movie called The Hatfields and McCoys. And here are two guys who were in. They were best friends. They were in the military together. They actually saved each other's lives. Or. If I remember correctly, one of them saved the other's lives. Or it might have happened in both directions. I don't remember exactly. But whatever it was, these guys were best friends. And over something that never happened, a misunderstanding, this is precisely what occurred. And literally for generations, these people have been killing each other. I mean, it literally became a killing spree. And I believe it was back in 2010 that the two families actually created a reunion and signed a peace agreement. And this goes back to the 1800s. You know, how bizarre and how crazy and outrageous it gets. So rather than two people squaring off and starting to tell lies about each other to the point where they become so stressed that they would actually, you know, verbally, physically, mentally affront each other, what, what what could be the response? Well, if that kind of a lie is told about someone, you know, you're cheating on your spouse when that's just not true, one who would have that lie told about them would do well to breathe and to look at truly what does that bring up in them? What does it feel like when someone lies about you and the lie is totally and completely unfounded. Well, if someone goes into some sort of pain or trauma or anger, then that becomes the work of the person being lied about. And, in fact, is a gift. Because, you know, when you look at this body-mind unit as an energy system... You know, we, we quote Einstein in the opening of the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop. 
which, by the way, the new first hour of that workshop is on our YouTube channel, which you can find if you go to yagain.org. And on the right-hand side, the bottom of the list of uh, social media links, if you click that, you'll see why is this happening to me again first hour. And uh, it came together pretty well. But when one stands in that space as an energy system where there is pain or trauma, and, and you know, certainly, I mean, what a horrible thing to happen to somebody in, in human terms for somebody to go out telling other people that this person cheats on their spouse when they don't. But when that shows up, if one goes into some sort of rage or fear response, that rage or fear, even though what's been said is lie, is still an internal response and an energy in the person being lied about. And that's something that needs to be forgiven. Now, I'm not saying forgive the person who's lying. That's not forgiveness. And this, you know, recognize that we've been sold a con job about forgiveness in this culture. You know, the whole culture is living in the world of you did it to me, you're the cause of my pain, which is denial. And when we live in that state, then somebody does something that resonates or bring, brings pain up in us, a disintegrative energy. And again, from Einstein, on such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we've heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. So matter doesn't exist. Your body-mind unit is an energy system. And if there's an energy, you know, relative to that system, there are two qualities of energy. There's what builds Michael, it up and what tears it down. Yes, sir. You're fading in volume, and this is so important to to hear. I'm straining to hear you in a, in a completely quiet office, so if you could speak up a bit. Okay, well, I'm right up on top of the microphone, and is that any better? Well, we'll see. I just wanted to let you know it was it was faded. Okay, thank you, sir. Okay, and let me know if it if it doesn't continue. Maybe I'll take an intermission and go and get another headset to. Uh, maybe I'm this headset starting to uh, decay or something. I don't know. So, relative to one's energy system, there's integrative energy that builds it up, and disintegrative energy that tears it down. If one's in a situation where someone lies about them and up comes rage or fear, the person being lied about has a disintegrative energy going on in them. Now, yes, it's that, that person was lied about, that's unfair, it's you know, all the labels you want to put on it, but that's got nothing to do with the fact that if the person being lied about recognizes, wow, look at the deep rage that comes up in me, is that person's opportunity to forgive their rage. Nothing to do with letting the person who's lying off the hook. That's a whole different issue. But when we set our lives up in a way that life brings up something less than love, it's our opportunity to remove those clouds that block the truth of who we are. And the tool of forgiveness is the how-to. So remembering that forgiveness is a tool for removing what doesn't belong in you, the person being lied about who's, let's say, for instance, in rage or sadness or fear or what have you, 
it's their opportunity to fl- apply forgiveness to the removal of their rage or fear or sadness. It's not about them letting the person who lies off the hook. And so that person can do the piece of work of forgiveness of that rage or whatever it is, and they'll come out as a whole energy system cleaner and more able to respond to the person who's lied to them. What's the appropriate response? Well, first of all, the appropriate response is to make sure that the individual who's about to respond stays connected to a mind of love and has forgiven anything that would block the presence of that mind of love in them. Whatever happens in their world, if you want to maintain a human life, you have to maintain the presence of love in your form. That's the way human life works. And if we give up the presence of love, then we literally, by giving up the presence of love and surrendering it to, let's say in this case, rage, we literally exacerbate the disease of rage within the person feeling the rage, and that person sprays the energy of rage on the person lying about them, which is probably going to increase the lies and increase the intensity of the stress between the two. So first order of business, the person who might have rage in that situation would be to forgive, to remove their rage, come back to a centered, connected space of love. And if it's up to them to respond, and it might not be, but if it's up to them to respond, to respond from that connected space of love. You know, perhaps to offer the truth of the situation from the perspective of the person who was lied about. And, you know, if appropriate, you know, if this is something where someone's spreading lies in a libelous way that might create damage to that person, then it might be appropriate for them to come forward in, you know, some sort of a, a legal response to hold them legally responsible for what they're doing. If they come forward out of vengeance and, you know, wanting to get even, then once again, that's a disintegrative energy within the person doing the action, and it would be their work to forgive that, to clean it up, until the response totally comes from a place of love. And the other response might be to simply hold the person who's doing the lying in that space of love and see them as someone in great pain, and holding compassion for them. You know, if it's something that isn't doing any damage, it's like, oh, well, you know, told my girlfriend, and my girlfriend knows better that, you know, I wouldn't cheat on my husband, so, you know, what, what's, it doesn't, doesn't bother me, no big deal there. Then the appropriate response might be to be that space where one who would make up and fabricate things because of their own internalized pain is hell in such a deep connected space of love that there's healing for the person who's telling the lie. And when you recognize the importance of the quality of energy that you are literally spraying on the person who your perception is about, and recognizing that before you ever sent that energy out toward them, you placed it within your own cellular structure, then you do behaviors based on, first and foremost, what supports your own cellular health, and then 
what do I need to do in the world to deal with this? And in essence, where you find that in Yeshua's teachings, you find the directive that would take you to that level of understanding would be if you went to the first century Aramaic meaning of the word rachma. Of course, this is a perennial conversation with, this, uh, with the show and with this work because it's such an important key. You go back 2,000 years ago and they said to Yeshua, you know, what's most important in all this stuff you're teaching us? And it's interesting, they say what's most important in the nemosa, that's the word that's used, that say the, the Greeks translated as law, but in fact, the word nemosa in Aramaic doesn't mean law, it means customs of the people. Yeshua comes back and he doesn't say the most important thing in the nemosa. He goes to a whole deeper level. He's not living on the surface. He's going to a deeper level. He says the most important thing in the orita, which would be cause law. The most important thing you can do here is engage in the cause of your health and well-being, whatever somebody else out there is doing. And the thing that's most important in the, the orita, the cause law, is that you maintain a condition in your mind called rachma, which is a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain. I'm suspecting more and more that probably it's what we call the pineal gland, which is a connection to higher energy sources. Interestingly enough, it's exactly what things like fluoride and chlorine, the halides, calcify and shut down so that higher faculties aren't available. I mean, literally calcifies the pineal gland so that it doesn't function properly. Dumbs people down, takes them out of the ability to see on a higher level. But maintaining this condition of rachma, one has a gateway where human life love enters the human form and that allows only intentions keyed to love to be used in forming goals that drive behavior. Now that seems like quite a mouthful. If you're new to the show, you might want to uh, give a listen to the, uh, the video if you happen to have our videos on getting the stress you need. And so this Rachma becomes this filter that opens a space for the presence of love, our human lives. And, you know, we have addition for, uh, uh, a definition, pardon me, for human life, hold a newborn child. Do you want to give a gift to someone who's ill, who's suffering, who's in pain, who's in the kind of trauma that they would lie about you? Now, somebody might say, well, I wouldn't want to give that person a gift. Ah, then your human life isn't there. Rock must close down in you, and you're functioning out of some sort of dynamic from the past. You've got work to do. Are you in fear, sadness over someone who's in that state or that an illness or what have you? Then the first order of business, the greatest gift you can give them is to clear your own energy field of any form of hostility or fear so that you can stand as that space of love for them. That's Rachma. And it has the added benefit, aside from the perceptual acuity that it brings to you, it has the added benefit of supporting you and maintaining your human life. And that's the whole bottom line of this work. We're working for a day when 7.5 billion people have resolved sufficiently the generational pain, hatred, fear, grief, rage in them that they spontaneously awaken with 
this filter active, the actual presence of love. Hold the newborn child if you want to know what love is. We all started there. And the world came along and started to put its thumbprints on us, and the tendency was to lose that connectedness to love. Be restored to that is the first order of business. That's in essence when they said, what's first? And he says, Rachma. And then, living as a human being. Imagine the day when 7.5 billion people wake up, and for no reason whatsoever, not because somebody did something nice for them, gave them gifts, they woke up millionaires, not, not for any reason other than, I have a human life. Do I wake up as the presence of love and function as love in the world? Imagine how different the game is going to be when seven and a half billion people do that. And the people who need the most support to bring that about, you know, you can't beat anybody into that. You can't murder people into that. What will bring that about is the presence of active love in any one individual that then contributes to the awakening of that love, the resonance of that love, the resonance of that human life in another person. So you can't whack your enemy into waking up to love. You can't whack your child into waking up to love. You can't whack your spouse into waking up to love. You wake up to love, and when you select that love, it wakes up the love in everyone. It's called resonance. It's called energy. And what we're here to do is to support the creation of a group of elders, nothing to do with age, but those who live sufficiently connected to love, that wherever they look, wherever they turn, they're always spraying that energy onto the people they look at, into their own physiology, and they're the ones who bring about a transformation in the world and wake up that space in everyone. So that's what we're here to support, a little just mini window on the kinds of challenges that one faces in the world. And Dr. Tim... Share some thoughts with with us. What's your weekend been like, and uh, what's exciting in your world? Well, my thoughts in listening to you specifically, because I had a friend who might be tuning in today for the first time, is uh, about the practical application of these tools to dismantle my anger, my fear, my sadness, my grief, my pain, my confusion, and that's why I've been um, using these tools and teaching them for over 10 years and now have two support groups to do them because as people pick up the tool of forgiveness at whyagain.org, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org, as they print out that worksheet and actually put the pen to the paper, one worksheet process at a time, they prove to themselves that the energy they were feeling, the negative emotional energy, whatever it was, can be shifted inside them and nothing changes on the outside. The person who was lying about them, the person who left them in a relationship, the person who stole from them, 
the person who raged at them might all still be doing that. And yet, when I apply the pen to the paper in that worksheet process, I can feel better. And every time I do it, I prove to myself my ability to create a more loving experience in my life in every moment, in all circumstances, in all conditions. So I just wanted to highlight the practicality of the tool. And yet, it's... it. As I do my work, it's contributing to a shift in an energy level which might any moment now go global. And what I'm most interested in is how I can restore myself to a more loving, more productive, more joyful experience in life right now, today. Absolutely. And, you know, you you trigger the brain cells of how Yeshua might respond to that or explain that to people. And and what he would say is, you know, everybody, you know, pretty pretty much everybody would look at someone who would have a, would have a lie made up about them about how they've cheated on their spouse as, oh, that's so terrible, that's disgusting, how could that person, you know, on and on and on. And you go back to Yeshua, and he says, you see, if you do my work, here's how it looks. Like me, you will be in this world, but you will not be of this world. In other words, the the effects out there, the experiences out there are not what are going to create your state of mind. Your state of mind are going to be created by the presence of your human life, of love. There's an interesting passage in, uh, I believe it was the book of Thomas, if I remember correctly, where, and that's one of the books that didn't get canonized, that didn't make the uh, the vote of the uh, the people who were de- determining what got into and became scripture and what didn't. But there's an interesting point where the disciples say something to the effect of to Yeshua. They, you know, the Pharisees are down on him, and and Yeshua, or they say to Yeshua, why, why don't you give them some of their own business back? Why don't you just sock it to them, and give them some of the same? And Yeshua ostensibly says, I have none of that in my store. Like, I can't return rage for rage because I have no rage. I can't return hate for hate because I have no hate. I can't return intimidation for intimidation because I have no intimidation in me. It's like, thank you very much. I've, I've, I'm done with those. I choose to live as a human being. I choose to live in relationship to my father who is love. This isn't a religious conversation. It's the most practical, real thing in the world. You either live in relationship to the love in which you live, move, and have your being, or you live in relationship to what's stored within your body's mind, which comes from generations of, in most cases, pain, trauma, drama, hatred, fear, rage, guilt, grief, even if you've had a nice life. Those things generationally, genetically are there. And it's, it behooves one to do the work of moving through those things to be freed of them so that when untoward events do happen in the world, which they do, I can shine the light of love on them and support healing rather than get lost in the drama and trauma in my carbon-based memory that I think is caused by the events in my world. The drama and trauma that people experience in different situations have nothing to do with the situations. It has to do with the content of their body's mind and their generations. And so it's, it's a difficult conversation for most people to even think about 
because there's so much unresolved pain from those generational inherited patterns. And one starts and begins to do their work over a period of time. And as one does the work, those things change, and they change in just the most amazing way. And so we're here to support people changing their lives in the most amazing way. And that is that no matter what happens in your life, if it's based in someone else's hostility or fear, then you simply stand as a space of active love. And when you do, you get to play a different game than everyone else. Now, that takes work. I actually posted a, what I thought was an interesting little post on, uh, the, from someone on Facebook. And uh, let's see, it doesn't, doesn't give the, uh, the name of the writer here. Just one second. Oh, yes, a gentleman named Frank Kern. And I guess this guy does financial uh, planning type seminars, or, you know, making money. That's his focus. And he's doing a seminar, and so someone posted, gee, really refreshing to see someone telling the truth. So here's what Frank said about his seminar. Please don't interpret any of this email as some sort of promise or implication of your future earnings. My results aren't even remotely typical. I've been at this almost 17 years and naturally have a bit of an advantage result. Also, the average person who buys any business building course or something similar, which is what Frank is selling, I guess, rarely gets any results at all. Kind of like how the average person who buys a home, home exercise equipment rarely ends up looking like the person in the commercials that sold it to them. I don't know why that is, but I think it's safe to say it's true across the board. Here is the bottom line. This stuff is actually hard, and it takes work and risk. On top of that, almost nothing ever works out right the first time, at least not for me, Frank says. Here's the guy who's presenting. At least it doesn't work out for me right the first time. You've got to stick with it. Think about it. If business was easy, everybody would be rich. So if you're looking for a magic pill or an easy button that'll make you money, I'm not your guy. Better you know that now than be disappointed later. Very refreshing for a man to say about his work. And so here was the post that I posted. And if you're not connected with me on Facebook, it's J-M underscore R-Y-C-E. We'd be delighted to be connected with you. And so my post says, this could easily be written about doing your inner work. It is work. It takes time. You have to be consistent for years. It takes daily effort. And when you most don't want to do it, that's when you must. The results are life insanity savings. Saving, pardon me. And you can count on them. If you do, all of the above. So there is one thing different in what uh, uh, what Frank is writing. Is he saying, you know, the results aren't guaranteed. Well, actually, we do guarantee results with this work. You can count on them. 
It may not be tomorrow or the next day or the next, but if you consistently apply these tools, you will live as the active presence of love in your world. And when you're not able to do that, you will have the next opportunity and you will have the brain cells to know that, ah, here's another piece of work that I have to do, rather than, okay, now it's okay for me to go and rage at somebody. It's okay for me to go and puke on somebody. No, it's okay for me to function as a human being. And if I can't, I've got another piece of work to do. Anyway, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting little thing that Frank wrote about uh, people coming to his seminar. These results are not typical. Well, actually, there's one piece different with the work of Yeshua. The results are typical for people who do the work. You can absolutely count on them. Again, it might not be tomorrow or the next day or the next. It might be two weeks down the line. It might be five years down the line. But what I can tell you over the years of watching people, and this is over the last almost 50 years of doing this, is that when people pick up the tools, nothing to believe, nothing to buy, just pick up the tools and put them to work. You can count on the fact that you will move, and of course the level of your willingness and dedication will determine how quickly, but you will move reliably from a space of hostility or fear in circumstances that when you face them tomorrow, there will be no hostility or fear. There will be the presence of love. That's a guaranteed result. Now, it can only be guaranteed if you do the work. You have to stick to it. You have to, and it's an ongoing daily process. I personally feel really blessed in that somehow I made the right choices, and some of those choices were based on it, it, it was almost like you know, the universe kind of moved me or manipulated me in the direction of being forced to do my work by teaching it. It wasn't where I started out. It wasn't what I thought I would be doing. And I had the blessing of kind of being forced into it and having to face it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, is giving me that blessing. I'm not sure where the noise is coming from, Jeannie, but there's a lot of noise and just started in the background. We can hit a mute button there. Jeannie, you with us? Hello, Jeannie. Jeannie, have you got your mute button on, sweetie? Jeannie just uh, just came through, and uh, her uh, she had gotten a call that they took her mom in to uh, do a catheterization on her heart. So, so she hasn't been on in the background. That's what's happening. So, ah, so if everybody just breathe with us and uh, hold a space for Jeannie to uh, to just be that space of love for her mom. Her mom's I'm not sure 80 or so now, and. Uh, just got taken to the hospital this morning, so if everybody just breathe with us and hold the space for her, for Jeannie, and for Jeannie's mom and dad, who's in the hospital with her, that would be nice. Can you still hear me, Tim? Yes. 
Uh, okay, good. Just, Not sure where that I, noise came from in the background, but that was Julie Haverstick, so I muted her. Um, oh, okay. She was on. She was on with a hand up. Ah, uh, okay. And um, right, well, we'll let's try her again in another minute or so. Currently, she's the only one with a hand up. Um, and um, but we do have quite a few callers online, and I haven't looked at the chat room because I just just realized when Jeannie didn't mute that that she was not watching the board. So thank you. Thank you for jumping in and saving us one more time, Dr. Tim. That's such a contribution that you have. Let's say hello to Julie. So, Julie, are you, you there? Have thought to share with us? I am. Can you hear me today? Hey yeah. there, young lady. We can hear you, yes. Okay, well, I, I have a couple of questions. And one was about the worksheet where it says, uh, it's near the end of the worksheet, just depending on which worksheet, what number it is, but where it says, can you feel now? And I can see that. Right. Okay. It seems to me like when I'm working with people, when I use the language, I can see that. That creates confusion. And I was wondering if you could change that, I can see that, to my thoughts are now. Well, the the challenge with that that I'd see with changing that, Julie, is for most people, they're in perception. And, you know, perception is the end result of a thought, but most people are not necessarily directly in touch with their thoughts, especially if they've just processed a, a major issue. So somebody goes in and cancels a goal, asks for help from Ruka, and they go into process, and maybe they process out some, you know, maybe the situation we were talking about, they process out some rage of being lied about. And so as they process that out, they think about that person and what their mind shows them, what their perceptual construct is one of maybe seeing, having that person, having compassion for that person and seeing their pain. So that specifically says, I see that, and it's, it, they're looking at a perception in their mind, so maybe they can see that person through compassion and get that, oh, they're in pain, and so I can just be this space of love. Whereas going directly to the thought might be a little more challenging for people. And, of course, one could put in, you know, if, if they're at the depth where they're in touch with the thought before it becomes a perception, they could certainly put in their uh, thought. Uh, but, but for most people, I don't think they're going to directly go there when they first start. That's something that usually takes some time to look beneath the pictures the mind shows them beneath the perceptions into the thoughts that create the perceptions. So that would be my hesitation there, but I'll certainly, I certainly hear the feedback and I'll look and work with it and see maybe we can word it. The thought, the first thought that comes is maybe we can word it with uh, as a, uh, you know, I see that or my thoughts are kind of thing. Maybe we could kind of cover both bases. Okay. I thought that was also to see whether they had actually shifted their perception, whether they actually, the tool of forgiveness is receiving the reality in my mind, uh, that they actually did that step and that they have now changed their reality, the perceptual uh, viewpoint. 
Right. And perception for most people, of course, it includes everything, but for most people, it's kind of the world that they see tends to be the focus of their perception. And so that's why that line says, I now see that. And, and recognizing that, well, gee, up above, I saw this hateful person being vicious with me, where now I see that, wow, this person's really in a lot of pain. So I've shifted my perception. And that's, of course, the idea of that step is to verify that I have had a change in perception. But again, the, uh, the challenge for most people to go beneath their perception directly to the thoughts, I think would probably make it a little more difficult for people to, uh, to do that. And of course, if someone's coaching them to start to look at the shift in their thoughts is going to be easier. But for the average person, I think uh, going translating the perception into thoughts is a skill that develops later in the work. You know, you've been doing it for years and so it's a skill that you have. And, uh, but I think the average person right off the bat likely isn't very well going to go there unless they're coached well in doing it, which of course you do so beautifully. Mm, Thank you. Okay. I do have another question. Great. Okay. So when I'm, when I'm working with people and thank you very much for that answer that I understand now why we use the word see, and that would go right into perception because the stress is created between right. the way you see it and what it's to be. So um, exactly. the other thing that I mean is to get the exact goal is very challenging for people, even when they have yes. been doing worksheets for quite a few years. Yes. And I'm wondering if you have any kind of hint. Like what I did last time when I was working with um, my support group, my phone support group, I uh, kind of went up to the top of the worksheet and we kind of backed through that and then to see, to find that goal that we were holding for them. But do you have any, like, you know, like little hints to help them get to that goal or, you know, it's kind of a little clever. Well, what happens is I think that most people live in such denial that it's a challenge to get to the goal because there's so much stuff going on so much uh, has arisen in them based in that hostility and fear-based mind what I usually do with someone is I'll just get them talking about the situation and listen to their words and of course this is a skill once again that one can develop for themselves is just you know listen to your story about the situation and you'll tell yourself the real goal and oftentimes people when they start looking for the goal because they're used to tricking themselves because they're used to hiding from themselves, just are confounded when they start looking for the real goal. But if they start listening to their story, and that's one of the reasons for that perception line up there, if they start listening to their story. So someone will be, well, you know, I wanted somebody to love me. I wanted somebody to care for me. And, well, well, tell me what happened. Well, you know, I was just sitting there, and, and this person said something really derogatory, and I just, you know, I just went into a rage when they did that. Oh, so they said something derogatory to you. So then what you wanted them to do was to speak to you lovingly, gently, and respectfully. There's your goal. Bingo. And so, but it is, it is a skill because we've, we've been taught in our culture to live in such denial that we hide from ourselves. And once we start hiding, it certainly one of the benefits of a coach in doing this work, I don't know, maybe Dr. Tim will have some thoughts on it, but one of the big benefits of having someone who's a support person is that they can help a person to move out of their hiding from themselves and into 
being aware of the underlying dynamics. It's not the normal state of mind in the world today for most people. And so once again, it's, and, and one of the reasons, you know, when I started the, uh, or when I read that little thing from Frank Kern is um, to recognize that one has to stick to doing their work for years. <laughs> and to make progress, it's just got to be a consistent, ongoing work that one does. And that's the challenge of it, to develop those new skills. Does that help? Yeah, that helps. Um, the, lots of times they want to go into number 7 or 11 or 12, whatever the versus what the initial goal is that they hold. What we want to do is being able to coach them to find their goal rather than for them to find me to find their goal. I want you know, right. to support yes. them. And that's why I'm looking for if, they're, if you have a little bit of, um, you know, uh, teaching on that, that I could, you know, support them. But what I did was pretty much what you did. We went back to the top. Okay, this is the output of your mind. So if this is the output of your mind, you must have been holding a goal. And so, you know, rereading that was kind of backed up into the goal. Right. Well, if people can listen to their story, their words will always specifically define their goal. And, you know, in the same way as when you're supporting somebody, you're listening to their story and, uh, and based in that, helping to guide them back to their goal, I think that people have to start to be able to listen to their own story. And, and when they become aware, and, you know, the challenge is this game of denial because we're, we're so trained in this culture to think and speak about everybody else as the cause of our pain, we have to hide the root of it. And part of that hiding is to hide the goal to hide the, uh, the key way into which or out of which healing will come. And it's, it's one of the reasons for hanging around with the work long enough to develop the skill. Some people hang around with it for a little while and go, oh, well, this doesn't work for me. This absolutely works for any human being that picks it up and uses it. It absolutely works. It doesn't work for those who pick it up and then lay it down and don't use it. It's just, you know, like any other tool. So that would be my uh, my input on that one, Doctor Tim. You have any thoughts on those issues, uh, either of them? Uh, I'm just echo what you said. It um, it can't work unless I pick it up. And of course, we've talked about this before. The support doesn't do it for you, but the support can help you feel safe enough to turn and look at what you've been running from within yourself, and that's what has to happen. And uh, I, I love repeating what Guy Finley says about this. There is no such thing as bad self-knowledge. And so I, I, I've been running from stuff I've hidden in my unconscious for a long, long time, and it's completely safe for me to see it. And when I ask each time in every worksheet to be shown the hidden part of my mind, that's a safe process. It doesn't feel safe because of all the mind energy I've put into the fear around it, and it's still safe. So what do you think about if somebody is having trouble finding the goal that we did some worksheets on finding the driver, the goal that's creating the output of my mind, and that the goal would be to, um, you know, I want be able to heal. I want to know what my goals are. 
Well, I think that that goes back to a, a conversation we've had many times in the show. There are lots of archives that talk about love of truth. And, you know, we're, we're trained to live in blockage of truth. You know, the, the example that I started out with, someone's just totally and completely hallucinated something that has nothing to do with the person they're accusing. You know, it's just a total, complete lie. And the person who's telling the lie lives in complete blockage of truth. Their own pain is resonated by the person that they don't like or that they want to slander. And blocking the truth about themselves that, you know, the example that I used was what we know about the person who goes around spreading a lie about someone else cheating on their spouses. They've probably been cheated on or they've cheated one or the other. And they're in blockage truth that I don't want to look at that. Now, if I can't look at the fact that, you know, I've cheated on my spouse, if I can't face that in me, then it's going to be hard for me to do a worksheet to resolve that because looking at the goal of, well, I want to have fidelity with my spouse becomes something that's blocked with the inability to see the truth of, hmm, that's something that I've done. And to recognize, you know, the goal in relationship is to to get to such a space of commitment that the only person you would look at or touch with intent would be your spouse. And, you know, it might be hard for people to arrive at that goal if they've been doing something else. But to realize that, you know, if one's cheated on a partner or been cheated on, the goal involved there would be, well, you know, I want my partner to only look with intent and desire and touch me. And then to cancel that goal opens the file on all the pain or trauma of all the times where one has been cheated on or where one has cheated. And, you know, that's that's big stuff when you look at, you know, down through the generations, the kinds of infidelity, the kind of pain, the kind of family turmoil, the kind of, of wars that have been started in families over an issue like that. And that's, you know, I, I doubt there's anybody on the planet today who could say, well, there's, none of that. there's never been any of that in my bloodline. I doubt it. And so block the truth would say, I never look at that energy. I never deal with that energy. I never want to fathom that energy. And what that means is that energy, when it comes to relationship, is what's going to tend to run one's relationships and their thoughts about relationships, their own or others. And so block truth would say, never will I look there or deal with that. Love of truth would say, okay, if there's any of that in me, I want it to come forward for healing. I want to be able to embrace this in love. I want to dissolve this energy so that I can be totally, completely free and I can have absolute 1,000% integrity in my relationships, in my thoughts, in my eyes, in my words, in my feelings to be at 100% integrity with my partner. And it's only that space that leads to the depth of relationship that opens a whole other level of spiritual experience within the context of relationship. The person who has infidelity in their genes and or maybe has played that infidelity out can't fathom the 
depth that relationship can go when there is that kind of fidelity and that kind of caring within a relationship. And they would create a world of, oh, well, it's okay for me to play. It's okay for me to send my spouse off to play or blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the crazy things that happen in relationships. And so it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's like we have to really look at those unconscious dynamics. And you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and he says, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. The word heart there, we have not even been able to translate in the West for the last 2,000 years. And so nobody's known what that meant. It's the unconscious. We've got to look into our own unconscious dynamics. There's got to be willingness to love truth and to let that energy of truth come forward in the presence of love means that everything unlike that energy is going to dissolve and I'm going to be able to really truly live in that space of connected love. And, you know, the fact that we have devolved so far from truth and functioning as love in the world, I mean, just take a look around. You just need to look any night at the political dynamics and you can see how far away from truth we are. The kinds of rage, the kinds of stories, the kinds of lies that people tell about it. it's just unbelievable and these are the people that quote unquote are presenting themselves to lead the world I mean think about that for a minute how crazy is this and yet that's the dynamics that tends to run the culture rare is the individual who says okay I'm going to face all of that in me I'm going to hang around the work long enough to clean all of that out in me so that whatever happens in my world, the only thing left in my physiology is the active presence of love, and I get to live in that. So it's, it's definitely a whole set of skills, which, of course, have become so natural for you with the thousands and thousands and thousands of worksheets you've done over the last almost three decades. It's, uh, it's natural, and... Transferring that skill is certainly, uh, or all of those skills, is certainly something we all want to get become better and better at. And your contribution in that regard and your questions and thoughts and refinements in that regard have been a huge gift in developing this work and bringing it forward to the world. And we thank you for that. You're welcome. You're so welcome. I am delighted. delightful to be part of the team. Yay, I agree. It's such a blessing. We mm-hmm. are blessed. All right, well, we're down to the last few seconds of so Dr. Tim and uh, Julie. Thank you, Jeannie. We're holding you in our hearts and your mom, that her heart is being held in our hearts as whole and healed and just awesomely functioning. In the meantime, we join each and every one of you in creating the best year yet of your eternal life. If you haven't accessed the forgiveness process yet, it's all free on the website, www.whyagain.org. Whyagain.org. Scroll down to the middle of the page, you'll see a red bullseye, red and white bullseye. Click on that bullseye, and it will open a whole series of links. And those links will just walk you through all of the there are a variety of worksheets. There are radio shows where we've taken somebody through the whole forgiveness process. It's all there. And then, of course, we're here five days a week to answer questions to support you in being able to truly live as the active presence of love in your world. So have a blessed day. And have the best year yet of your eternal life. Great
thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael Jeannie or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.